0: Another Saturday has rolled around. Welcome, everybody, inside the outdoors on this... Saturday morning. Hope that uh, you and yours are having a good weekend, the start of a good weekend, and that you've had a chance to get out and maybe enjoy our outdoors here in the state of Utah this past week. I know we've had, well, we've kind of had some decent weather for the most part, and, um, you know, maybe we're getting that break between storms again. We've gotten rain in the valleys and snow in the mountains, so everybody should be happy. Uh, I don't think those temperatures have hurt the uh, uh, the ice fishing too much, so I think we're generally going to be okay, uh, and so so um, you know, just everything is there. Please be careful if you're out snowmobiling. Of course, we did have the tragedy last week with the uh, with the young man who was killed above Farmington. And uh, again, I can't stress enough. Please just just be careful uh, if you're out there. Those mountains are. Uh, somewhat unstable right now. We are getting lots and lots of snow in the upper elevations, and we've got it on top of crusted snow, and it is just one of those things that we've got to be careful about. Uh, Please, just just take some extra care. Make sure you wear beacons. I know it didn't help him necessarily, but uh, certainly your chances with a beacon. Uh, Don't go alone. Make sure you've got the necessary equipment. I guess we just can't stress enough that uh, that we need to be careful. Um, if you're in the ski resorts, stay in the boundaries. If you're outside them, again, just be aware. Utah Avalanche Center, I mean, it's a great resource that we have in the state, and all you've got to do is check it out, uh, find out what areas are the most susceptible. If you're going to one of those areas, you need to know that going in. So whether you're cross-country skiing or you're snowshoeing or you are snowmobiling or whatever, uh, again, but we just don't really want to uh, uh, to have you be a statistic. And, I, I again, I know that that uh, is just not a great way to start the show, but I, I just want to be sure that we make sure that we are going to uh, are gonna have everybody come back again. It's just one of those things that... Uh, that, you know, it's avoidable, and I guess that's the, the that's the really sad thing about the whole thing is that it is avoidable, and uh, we'd like you to do that. Okay, uh, let's go on to um, a more pleasant things. What we have on the program today, we're going to talk about the, the cougar population in the state of Utah because it it, um, it is impacting. Oh, there we go. You know, if you silence your phone, you don't have that problem. Steve, who's calling this early? Who's up this early in the morning? All right, let's silence the phone, and then we'll go ahead and keep moving. Um, cougar population in the state, it is changing because our deer population has changed, or maybe the deer population has changed because the cougar has. Either way, uh, we've got to do some things differently. And the Division of Wildlife Resources has seen the need for that and has decided that there are some things that can be done regarding the cougar population. And so with us uh, to tell us more about that is the uh, DWR's Game mammal coordinator darren Du blois who is with us this morning darren how you doing i'm
1: good good morning steve good thanks for
0: you. thanks for joining us on the program um, i guess i mean i guess this is is good news technically that um that the cougar population is is so healthy that we can afford to make this change but but there are some some needs that our our ecosystem presents to us right and those are constantly changing not just with deer and and uh and cougars but other predator prey relationships but this is one that you really have to do something with right now
1: right we we uh we've been fortunate we've seen some, some really uh dramatic increases over the last decade or so in our numbers of mule deer and uh you know that's been due to some some mild winters we've had we had several in a row you know uh five years ago or so and, and really did well but along with with that prey base increase we've, we've seen an increase in the number of predators on the landscape especially mountain lions and they they tend to specialize in deer so the concern we have is that um last year following some drought conditions we had some pretty pretty high snow loads and and uh many of our deer populations were impacted heavily by that we lost a, a lot of a lot of fawns and uh and even saw some adult mortality and, and one of the most dramatic increases in the ch- or decreases in the chalk creek area it looks like we probably lost about 60 percent of that beard so what happens is that you know you've got this this predator population that's relying on that habitat, the deer, and when you lose that component you you carry a higher predator number um, over several years there's usually a lag time for that population to to adjust. And so what we're trying to do on on a select number of units is increase uh, increase hunting on on cougars in those units to try to get that population. Down and, and allow those deer herds to uh, to bounce back more quickly. So that's the strategy. And, and again, we it's targeted. We're we're looking at particular units where we feel like um, cougars are having an impact and could slow that that rebound.
0: That sixty percent. I mean, that's a huge percentage. Obviously, of any one yeah. given deer herd.
1: Yeah. It is, and again, you know, so I picked that out as the most dramatic. Um, but we, we, when we looked at the units across the state, um, we looked at annual growth rate and 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 picked about you know anything that that lost fifteen percent or more were the units that we looked at, and and fifteen percent takes a couple of years for a deer herd to recover from, and and so that was that was sort of our litmus test as we decided if we needed some additional um, harvest of cougars in order to to make sure they. They're with that habitat resource, their prey.
0: You know, this is, I, I think this is one of those principles that unless you are uh, involved in the hunting or harvesting like this, the general public sometimes has a hard time grasping this kind of population, don't they, or this kind of problem. Because, let's face it, cougars, they're those big-eyed uh, animals, and, and there seems to be human affinity for them no matter what. Um, it's, it's one of those, it's a hard sell sometimes from a PR standpoint to get people to understand, which is one of the reasons, obviously, I appreciate you coming to to explain it, because the knee-jerk reaction of a large segment, growing segment of our population these days as people who are not from this area move in, and even some who have grown up here but have grown up with maybe a little different skewed perspective of life than those of us who've been here a long time just see nothing but oh it's the hunters and they want um, they want to harvest more animals kill 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 that's their mindset and nothing really could be further from the truth because what happens explain to us what happens if you leave this situation unchecked
1: well we so again you've got you've got a i don't want to say artificial but you got a situation where you you know we got to think about mule deer the way we would to cougars the way we think about winter range to mule deer that cougars rely on that that prey base in order to maintain the numbers of animals that they have on the landscape and so when you get a sudden reduction in that population a couple things can happen one is um you've got you're just carrying too many predators and and they start to have conflicts and and they can have they can exert what we call top down If you think of a food web you know, you've got plants at the bottom and, and plant eaters are in the middle and the predators at the top. If a predator is, is, is forcing a population to, to stay down, um, we call that top-down uh, pressure. And so you know, that, that can happen, especially if you have other prey species that the, that the cougars can still eat. So they, you know, if they can eat elk or, or some other, uh, you know, their, their numbers aren't going to necessarily reduce without some management action. So, those are the things that that we're concerned about. Um, just trying to get get that the system back into balance when you, we have yeah. those losses. You could wait long term and and that would eventually um, stabilize, um, but you lose three to five years in the process, and and those deer herds don't recover. And sometimes they can be chronically suppressed. You just can never they just can never grow. They stay at that low low threshold
0: yeah one of the other things you have is you have human interaction which creates some problems as well if you if you get a apex predator like a cougar that is looking for food can't find it naturally because the deer herds have been depressed because of weather or other factors then you get human interaction and that's when you have problems with garbage or you have problems with pets and things of that nature I mean they're not about to lay down and starve isn't a cougar if it's got an alternative. Right.
1: They're really good at what they do, and, and coups especially are, are meat obligates. They they can't branch out like a bear and, and eat other resources, and so they're going to find meat to eat. And, and unfortunately, sometimes that that includes people's pets. And so, yeah, if you're carrying a, a high a high density of predators, and that prey base goes away, they've got to find something else. And sometimes they move and they show up in places you don't expect them. And sometimes they they come into conflict with people, and that, of course. With a large predator for us is, is is something we're very concerned about.
0: The other thing is from if you know if people want to talk about the humanity side of thing, being humane to the animal. Um, ultimately, if there is no food source, and the, you know, the ultimate extension of the problem is that the cougar starve. Uh, the cougar does die if it can't find the meat. If it can't find something to eat, then it's going to starve, which I think is a death that no no one who cares anything about human. Or animal life would want to wish on, uh, you know, on, on any being. And from a human, uh, humane standpoint, from cougars, that's the ultimate. Uh, you know, to to the extension of this, that's the worst that could happen. You run out of deer, and uh, and you find that out on the range, you're going to see the big cats that are going to starve to death or going to cannibalize one another. Either way, that population is coming down
1: and right. and we do see so when you see a population of lions that that exceeds the carrying capacity of that range typically that's what you see is that that conflict between animals and they do and they do kill each other or they move and then they again they wind up in places that are marginal um urban urban interfaces places that that we just you know we, we just don't want to have these large predators hanging out so so yeah, it it's good to, we need to manage um we live in a state with a a growing population and and um you know the the upshot is we need to manage these wildlife species and so that's that's the reason we made the decision we did the other day.
0: So, talk to me about the decision. What what is going to change, and and how is that going to? Because I think the, the proclamation is already out, correct for this for the uh, the year. There is going to be a change to what is written uh, in, and been printed right now, or am I mistaken there? Right.
1: No, you're right. No. So what what we did is um, again we looked at we looked at units across the state, and and identified units where we felt like. We had concerns with the numbers of deer falling and the number of predators that, that were there. And, and one of the things we looked at is, so we have harvest objective units, and that is essentially a quota. And if those quotas filled fast, that indicates that there's a lot of, a lot of cougars in that unit. Um, and so we, we went through, we looked, we, we tried to determine based on, uh, we have a lot of collared deer in the state and a lot of good data on on deer health. And so we, we looked at those components too, and and determined which units probably need a little bit more pressure, and um, and and those are the units we chose. And so there's uh, a total. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. Um, is let's it see, is that 117?
2: 11, yeah,
1: 117 additional permits. Right. So that's that's a 17 percent increase across the state. But that, of course, is focused on on those particular units so um you know we can go through the list but uh but, but but that was the criteria we used to, to look at that.
0: And where do people, I mean, if you if you are a, a cougar, if you chase them with hounds or whatever, I assume, you know, you've probably got the information right now. But if you have a proclamation, you need to know that those changes are not reflected in the current proclamation that was printed up because there are emergency changes that have just been added. Where do people go to find the the current information on that?
1: People can find that on our website. Um it's wildlife. Utah.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's and, your that's your um, website. I know. I have to. I always have to do it because it seems backwards to me. <laughs> but I know,
1: well, it's, but, Google finds it for you, and I, I don't have to think about it. Enough. That's but, true. Uh, anyway, if you, if you click on the click on our website and go to the hunting page, and under cougars, there's a couple of things. One is you can get an updated copy of the guidebook. They'll include these changes and and that that's updated electronically so you can get a current version and also these are all for the most part harvest objective units which means there's a quota um, right now in place there's a, a a page there where you can check and see what units are open and how many how many uh, animals have been taken and and how many are, remain in the quota um, there are a, a, few units that are what we call split units so they will they will turn into a quota beginning on the 29th of February and then uh, whatever animals haven't been harvested yet will uh, will go then into a quota system and so there were four units that we that we recommended have increased quota once they close to limited entry hunting
0: and I think that that's something that's important to let people know as well is that you're not just putting these numbers out and they're going to be overfilled. We're not going to be taking more cougar than are, you've been deemed biologically responsible of that as a, an animal is taken. It is basically checked off and and eliminated from the quota so that you can know exactly how many are being taken, where they're coming from. And once you hit that that quota, uh, by definition, you're going to say that's it. That's enough. We've fulfilled the the objective that we think biologically is responsible.
2: That's
1: right, and we'll and we'll continue to evaluate uh, both the deer herd and and the cougar uh, harvest to to make sure we're attaining the goal that we set out to achieve by making this
0: change. so. Well, Darren, I appreciate you joining us this morning, kind of informing us, letting us know. It's not an easy thing. There is no such thing as, main, as an easy thing uh, maintaining a balance these days between people and wildlife as we settled this place um, you know we started to disrupt the flow of wildlife and as we started to take what has traditionally been winter range or just even summer range out of the out of the mix we have to make adjustments and harvesting through hunting is the only I think the only way that we have any kind of real control you can't control what's happening with predation you can't control what predators are going to be successful and not be successful but one but it is a reactive study uh, f- when you've seen what's happened with with the winter kill and things of that nature that can be proactive if you can get out in front of it uh, with something like this but you almost have to wait until something has happened to make you aware of the situation don't you
1: yeah yeah so we'll you know we again we keep an eye on 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 these these data points and this is you know this the the things we know about mule deer in the state uh today are amazing compared to even five years ago just just with with the work that's been going on and so we can detect these things whereas in the past you're kind of almost a year behind uh, trying to figure out what happened and now we can we can look at body condition in the fall and actually get some sense of how survival over the winter may may go depending on the severity of the winter and, and uh those are those are things we do by capturing and, and measuring uh body condition on deer so it helps us be more proactive.
0: Well, and we appreciate you, you know, letting us know what's happening. Again, thanks for joining us, and uh, and we'll try and let people know as much as possible any changes that you have. So, good luck, and uh, and I'm sure that these objectives, once met, are going to going to have long term implication. That ripple effect down the line of future deer herd populations and everything else um, is going to make a big difference. So, Darren, thanks again. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. You know, I'll tell you, folks, it is. And it always surprises me that normally intelligent individuals that that can be reasonable about a lot of things wind up, not being able to get past the emotional knee-jerk reaction when it comes down to wildlife management, especially especially deer or anything that's furry and looks good. And obviously, a cougar fits that definition. We see the pictures of the cats. Anybody who's had an experience with them out in the wild will tell you uh, it's it can be a scary situation. And we are seeing more cougar, and that's good. I mean, in, in large measure, that's great. You get a chance maybe to see them occasionally in the wild. But the thing is that for the good of the resource, and I'm talking about all species of animals, whether they're a prey animal or a predatory animal, you have to have some way of keeping it in check. You can't just let Mother Nature do what Mother Nature for a long time, did but even then, you know, during Native American days, Native Americans harvested animals that kept a certain balance on the range. Uh, you can go back through history. Very, I don't know of a time. I mean, I guess there was a time. If you, depending on what your belief is about the history of this world, I guess there was a time when animals just regulated themselves, and human beings did not interact with them and didn't have any way uh, to to, uh, to harvest or didn't have any part in the management of of animal species. But that that is a long time. That is gone a long time ago. Now, whenever we move in and we settle an area, we displace things. It doesn't matter whether they're large animals like a cougar or a bear or a buffalo, which was almost extinct. We displace things. And in, in that displacement, we have a couple of choices. We can either concentrate them into an area where they cannot be sustained because of the because of the uh, opportunity for prey or and in which case they will eventually die out or we can just go ahead and um, and let them uh, fade out naturally or move they will move to the next place and then they will stay there until we move into it as well and for those of us who live in the Wasatch front if you live above about 1100 east in the Salt Lake area or if you Live in the Provo area and you live towards the benches or the, the foothills, or the same thing in the Ogden area, you have displaced deer from their traditional summer range. They are, and a winter range too, because they would have come down into the valley during the winter. Uh, for those years. And we are living, the city is their winter range, their traditional winter range. Well, they've got to go somewhere. So one of two things has to happen. Either you have to reduce the number of deer that are going to live here, because either that or they're going to eat your shrubs, and that opens up a whole new can of worms. We have people calling the division all the time, complaining about deer eating their, their landscaping. Or They're going to die of starvation because they have no place to go but higher on the foothills where the snow is deep and where they have no ability to browse at all. So we've impacted anybody who lives above about 1100 East has impacted significantly the deer population, which means that we've got to do something to help them out. And again, the only thing you can do, unless you want to plant your landscape and invite the deer down, which not too many people are willing to do that, and I'm not sure how the invitation would be extended. But unless you're willing to do that, then what you do is you concentrate deer out of their traditional area that they were in, that they would come into the in the winter months, make them be up high where they're susceptible to weather, Predation and also animal predation. And what we have here is we have tough winters that have killed off 60 percent of the herd in the Chalk Creek area, and we've got hungry apex predators like the cougar that would like to be able to eat. They're not the only ones. You have coyotes as well. You do have, I think you do have some, uh, uh, some, some wolves here in the state of Utah. But all of those apex predators are being affected by the lack of prey. When we have a deer herd that has been decimated to the extent that Chalk Creek unit has. So what the division has done is they've looked at these units around the state that have been unfairly and uh, and inordinately affected by the weather or other such effects. Sometimes it's it's roadkill. Um, but other things that are in, taking an inordinate amount of deer out of the herd and and change the, uh, the regulation for them. It's a responsible way to go. If you don't like it, if you're opposed to hunting and you don't like it, then the only thing you can do is you need to move. You need to move to a place that does not have wildlife that is dependent on range. And I'm not sure, frankly, especially out west where you would do that anymore. Maybe in New York City you'd be okay although the uh, uh, i guess the coyotes in central park are uh, now a problem as well but i don't know where you'll do it in the state of utah bottom line is it's a responsible thing to do it's being done by the division of wildlife resources and we should help them uh, in doing so listen we are way over time we're going to take the break we're going to step aside when we come back we'll talk to george and gary we'll find out what's going on in the fishing scene uh, around the state of utah stick around we'll be right back <music> set us up for what we've uh, got coming up next at least i didn't go fishing the me part of it but the you part did if you're talking to george summer who uh, told me before we came on the air that he didn't fish as much as he wanted to last week and i had to remind him that when was the last time you fished as much as you wanted to within a week it's been a long time i would imagine george
2: yeah, it has, you know, and, and I it, it's been so long I can't remember
0: when it was. <laughs> well, that's that's okay. You and I both have the same issue these days. We have a hard time remembering what we have for breakfast, right? So,
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: But you got out, which is the good news. I-
2: I did. You know, I was out in the Vernal area for a uh, Red Fleet management team meeting, and uh, so I thought I'd swing by on my way home. I took the fly rod with me, and I fished the uh, Strawberry River below Starvation.
0: Oh, good. Well, now imagine there's some snow down there. Uh, no, no. There
2: be there's a little a little skiff, you yeah. Machine, but not not enough to. Um, to count, I guess you'd call it not compared to you know what we've seen everywhere else.
0: Yeah, wow, uh, that's that's surprising. I mean, I guess that's the good news because access would not have been an issue for you.
2: No, no, it drove right to you know strawberry. On the other hand, the snow's almost to the top of the fence pole.
0: Yeah. So,
2: um, but you know, you didn't do sheen. You drop off that other side, and and there, there wasn't hardly any snow. It was more mud than anything, and and so I I trekked around a little bit and and uh, managed to catch one. You know, because again. You know, when you get old, your reflexes—you and, and, know—it's not as good as it used to be.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that age as is a factor because if that's the case, <laughs> I've been old for a long time. Although I have been old for a long time, so let's talk about. It. So the fishing was a little bit tough then, obviously.
2: Well, it, and, and it was tough because the water is crystal clear and so if you're not using sneak attack on the on the fish um they saw me a long time before uh you know i'd see them when they, they flashed and took off so you had to kind of sneak up on the on the spots to get to the fish and and uh you know with streamer action uh, so the streamers worked pretty good i didn't see anything coming up on top but uh i mean there was there was some dandy fish there they were really skittish
0: Oh really? So obviously food is is an issue for them. I mean, I guess time of year—that's not a surprise. But uh, you would hope that they've had uh, a decent summer to to kind of fatten up. But apparently not.
2: No, they, they were healthy. I um, uh, didn't see any skinny fish, but they were just
0: so. Skinny. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you um, said they were skinny. So I, I beg your pardon. No, not skinny. Yeah, skittish. Go really oh, skittish. skittish. Um, there we go. All yeah, right. Yeah.
2: So, you know, as soon as, as soon as you'd walk down the bank, um, if you weren't sneaking, you know, head down, um, even, you know, crawling through the stuff, uh, they, they'd spot you a long ways away, and you just see them flash off. Um, and so the, the one I caught and, and the other one I had, um, I snuck down there and kind of, you know, played it, played it good for once, and, and uh, it worked out there, but the rest of them, uh, they just... I was, I was clutching along, and, and they saw me before I, I had a chance to, to cast to
0: them. But the good news is the fish was healthy then. So, I mean, this is an area yeah. that typically yeah. has had some really nice fish in it.
2: Yes, and and they're still there. I don't think there's as many as there used to be, but there are still some handy fish there. Um, and I've got fish in the 16- to 20-inch range. So, um Yeah. But again, you got to sneak up on them because that water is—it's down because they're, they're not releasing a whole lot of water. for what it looked like, and it is crystal clear. You could see everything on the bottom.
0: So you—you you say you're using uh, you're using streamers, obviously min- minnow imitation uh, uh, flies, and uh, and stripping those quickly. Are you are you fishing for brown trout up there? Or are you what are you catching?
2: Um, the the one I had um, was a rainbow. Mm -hmm, Um, but there uh, i saw a couple of browns um and the fish seemed it seemed to be on the swing instead of the cast and strip so i'd cast up strip it down and then um when it got below me is when i got hit um so you know know, and i'm not that good of a fly fisherman to be able to say what that means um but you know you can't beat a an opportunity to go fishing and and to
0: see stuff like that. Yeah, well, that's the truth. So that's the good news. And and you're talking about technique then. uh, I mean, I guess on these warmer days, there there probably are some hatches coming off. Most of our rivers are getting something happening on these bright, sunny days, and we experienced a few of those along the Wasatch Front, certainly, this last week, where we got those warmer days. Uh, We're going to be seeing those hit and miss, apparently, for the next little while. So people should not give up completely... I'm thinking about some topwater, but, but that streamer fishing is this time of year is really a good way to go.
2: It is, you know, and, and you can kind of work it a little faster than you can with drives, or at least I do. Um, and, and I think you're right. You know, we have a couple of 40 plus degree days. We're going to see some hats, some good hatches come off. And so it's, it's a uh, the challenges. you know, especially on the Wasatch front is, is a uh, when you have those good days, everybody knows it, and everybody's there.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're, especially places like the middle Provo, for example. That that is getting—I know—it's getting slammed pretty heavily.
2: It is, but you know, there's there is a ton of fish there, so it, it's it's an awesome um, story there. And, and you know, I go there. I can't catch the fish because they're well educated, <laughs> but it's awesome just to watch fish. Um, and you know, see some other people catch fish.
0: Now, I did make a trip up uh, this past week. Uh, actually, uh, yeah, early in the week, up towards uh, the uh, Park City area and past Deer Creek, and saw there's a lot of open water there and in Jordan now, both.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, when I drove up um, for my meeting Saturday morning, um, there were uh, there was uh, around the edges. There was that skim skiff ice, you know, the mm-hmm. thin stuff that you see. Yeah. But there was still a bunch of open water at Deer Creek. So, you know, I think uh, it's it's coming where it's going to freeze, but we're not there yet.
0: Yeah, I went up Saturday morning up to Park City and uh, noticed there was one boat and trailer at the island boat ramp uh, that had launched. A guy had launched. There was one boat, and there was somebody in a uh, kayak that was on the water, too. And that's all I saw for the entire reservoir. There probably were a few down lower, but I'm not sure, but certainly up towards the island area. And I saw a little bit of ice on the backside of the island where, they, where you get that real narrow uh, channel between the island and, um, you know, it dries up when you get summer months sometimes and you have the the actual land there. That's very shallow water. Don't get much wind action in there. And I did see it frozen there. But short of that... I saw open water, and I just, um, I, I don't have the wherewithal, I guess, to get the boat mm-hmm. out of the garage right now, but I would just love to know from somebody if they are catching fish up there, because this time of year, I've done it before, maybe not quite in the middle of January, but i certainly done it the end of December and had days when you catch 40, 50, really nice, nice fish on in open water on Deer Creek.
2: Yeah, exactly, and, and I haven't talked to anybody that's been up there recently either, Um but you know, everybody else seems to be ice fishing is on. Yeah, and so that's where everybody seems to be heading.
0: Well, and I I can't fault them for that. Yeah. I mean, certainly yeah. we waited long enough for this ice to come, and and it looks like it's slowly building. I mean, we're not having those super 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 cold uh, temperatures yet, but enough that it seems like it's being able to form new ice and form safe ice through most of those lakes that we typically can get on, the Echos, the Rockports, uh, the East Canyons, the places like that, and then obviously further up north, the Manaways and the Hiram. We talked about that last week. Those reservoirs have had some extreme cold temperatures in the Cache Valley, and they, they are forming really good, solid ice.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot of opportunity right now. It's, it has been some of the close ones, Rockport, Echo, and that have been hit and miss. You know i talked to some people they'll go out whack them and i talk to other people and they're like well we couldn't find any fish and so it's i i think a matter of it's like we talk about you know with uh, um Regular boat fishing. Yeah. You've got to move around a little. It's called Not fishing,
0: here. right? It is. It's and called every, fishing. Everybody likes catching. You got to actually like fishing, but fishing doesn't mean you're always going to wind up with something on the end of your line. But it, it does. I mean, from what we've heard now, there is still a significant amount of choices. You can, you know, you can kind of pick an area and have two or three places within a given area of the state that you can go.
2: Exactly. You know, and there's there's another open water place that that I think has kind of fallen off the map. Um, I saw a picture of Yuba um, the day before yesterday, and um, there's no ice. Wow. And there's somebody down
0: there catching walleye. Okay.
2: I may may have to get the boat out for
0: that one. Yeah, that one would be worthwhile. Uh, That definitely would be worthwhile for some walleye. Well, listen, my friend, as always, it's good to talk to you. We appreciate you going out and sacrificing with the R&D for us. I know it, it takes a lot, but we definitely appreciate your sacrifice and your willingness to do it.
2: Well, and I'll keep sacrificing.
0: (laughs) Sounds good. Like we both have our tongue firmly planted in our cheek. All right, George. Thanks, my friend.
2: Thanks, Steve. Take care.
0: Talk to you next week. You know, I know this music is summer music. I know it's music with the sun out and cane pole over your shoulder and everything else. But I I just it makes me so happy when I think about it. Not that we have it, obviously, right now, but that it's not too far, hopefully, on the horizon as we welcome in Gary Winterton, GW, the ginger ninja himself with Hooked on Utah. Gary, how you doing, buddy? I'm
3: doing fantastic. Ben, you got a little pep in your step today. I love
0: it. I'm feeling good. I'm Listen, you know, we had a pretty good week. Things were, I thought our weather wasn't too bad. Yeah, we got some rain. But as I want to say, we don't shovel rain. And I love the snow up above for all those people who want a snowmobile and the cold temperatures for ice fishermen. And then the rain down here just washes. I I, I like it. So I'm a happy camper. How about you this week?
3: Yeah, great week and I concur 100%. I love it when it rains in the valley and we get heavy snow up in the mountains and it gives us everything we want. So, yeah, great week, you know. It's uh how how can it it the jazz are winning? Yeah. Well, ice fishing is on fire. We're, we've got snow in the mountains. It's the trifecta. I love it.
0: And the stars are winning. Don't forget these guys. And the
3: stars are winning, yes.
0: So anyway, yeah, it is good. So ice fishing for tonight's show, Hooked on Utah, which is, for those who don't know, 11.05 on KUTV Channel 2, right after Talking Sports. We're going to do a little ice fishing, right?
3: Absolutely. And we're going to one of mine and your favorite lakes fish lake you and i have fished it many times we've had some wonderful adventures up there and i love this lake because of the multiple species that you can catch in one trip and it's one of the lakes that i think really sets itself apart it's at the high mountain lake but like you and i have both experienced i mean you can catch you can catch splake rainbow trout brown trout perch there are tiger muskie in there and you catch lake trout and It's just, and I think Steve, if I'm correct, there might be even brook trout in it. Don't quote me on that one, but there are splake, and that's what I love about the lake is the diversity of what you catch.
0: There's no question about it, and it has become, for volume at least, I'm not sure for size, and maybe we're going to find out in your show tonight, but for volume, it has become one of the the great perch lakes of our state because there are too many of them. We have that perch tournament every spring to try and thin the amount, the numbers out so that the perch will get a little bit larger, but for sheer numbers, it's absolutely amazing.
3: Yeah, it is, and and that's the primary reason for the perch tournament every single year is, Whack those numbers down, because if we can get them down, those perch will grow bigger. And, you know, that weed bed that's offered there offers such protection for the perch that they they can multiply in the trillions. And so, um, you know, look at the limit. I can't remember what it is right offhand, but it's sizable. Um,
0: well, and, the state limit is 50 per day, yeah. and, I, and I thought, and I, and I have to confess, I haven't looked at the proclamation for a while, but I thought they'd even taken the limit off maybe on fish lake, but maybe I'm mistaken there.
3: Yeah, and that's why I'm saying I can't remember offhand. I thought it was no limit there. Um, so we, we didn't take any more than you know, below 50 when we went. But if you, if you want to take them, I've seen pictures this year of people taking just Tons of perch. Go do it. It's a ton of fun. And what's fun about it, you start in the shallows. You can catch perch. You can move out to 20 feet. You can end up catching some of those rainbow. You move out a little deeper, you've got splake and lake trout, um, and even the browns that are cruising deeper. That's what's so cool about this lake. And then you and I, Steve, we've always done it um, in style because we've got some good friends there that run the Fish Lake Lodge. They've got accommodations that make it so nice because the drive is pretty lengthy. You know, two, two and a half from Utah County, so three from Salt Lake. But you go spend the night and then go out and ice fish and yeah. then maybe spend the night and do it again. That's the way
0: to do it. Yeah, absolutely, because you go back to Fish Lake Lodge. I mean, they have they have cabins for any size that you want to put your group in. And uh, and I know they have at least a couple of them that are log homes. They're not really cabins. But it's a great way of being able to go and uh, and come back in and sleep for the afternoon. If you want to fish the night, I mean, obviously, that's a great time for ice fishermen. A lot of ice fishermen know that that is one of the best times to do it, go out and fish the ice at night but that's the way to do it because then you have the the chance to uh uh, to get some sleep during the day if that's what you want to do watch the satellite tv and and really make a weekend of it it's a great way to spend or a midweek when you don't have the crowds to contend with
3: oh yeah it's and and the the accommodations are awesome you know when we did it we actually went down we watched a jazz game on the satellite had a great time had a nice (laughs) dinner got up at the crack of dawn, fished until we were done fishing and went home. And it's perfect. And that's what I love about Fish Lake. um, is that the entire experience is one of the best. Now, a couple of caution points, Steve. You and I have experienced this. Fish Lake, the winds blow a lot. So oftentimes there's no snow on the ice. It makes it very slick. So you need to have either screws in your boots or you've got to have those rubber slip-ons that have the traction bars in them. Otherwise, it's super dangerous when you're out there because that, wind, that ice gets polished up to a mirror finish, yeah. and you can go down and crack a skull, and it's, it's hard walking out there. So be be prepared, and then just check the edges because there is some warmer water on the edges at times from a few of the springs that come in, and it can soften up even when the ice is two feet thick out in the middle.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to seeing the show tonight. I always enjoy it when you go to Fish Lake because you're right, you never know what you're going to get. There are fish, obviously, the big lake trout are in there, all the way down to the smaller perch and everything in between. And it's just a, it's a smorgasbord and a great opportunity to catch a bunch of different fish. So, uh, as always, my friend, we'll check out your your show tonight. Again, 11.05, right after Talking Sports. It's on KUTV Channel 2. It is Hooked on Utah. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week, buddy.
3: Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. We'll
0: see you guys next week. Okay, Mr. Mr. Hooked on You Time Self, Gary Winterton. We're going to step aside. We'll come back. We'll finish this thing up. Stick around. Well, the hour has come and gone. Boy, it moves quickly. I want to thank my guests, obviously, Darren, for talking to us in that first segment about the cougar situation here in the state of Utah. Again, if you're interested in that, be sure and check out the information, whether you're pursuing them or whether you're just interested in the wildlife itself. Check them out at wildlife.utah.gov. You'll get all the information, the numbers. It's a great resource, by the way, because it does tell you whether it's cougars or deer or fish or whatever, anything you want. They've got such a breadth of information and it's scientific information, not anecdotal, scientific. So you can speak with authority when you study what's going on uh, at the state level there and um, and find out what the division is doing. So uh, be sure and check them out. So I want to thank Darren for joining me. I uh, want to also thank uh, G- uh, George and Gary for joining me uh, and talking a little bit about ice fishing. I mean, there's no question about it. This is the time of year to be doing it, whether you want to fish the ice on lakes or you want to just fish the rivers. Don't give up on on moving water right now because this is a great time of year. The whitefish, and we we haven't really talked about that. I'm going to talk to George about that in the next couple of weeks because whitefish is one of those under-harvested resources that grow large here in the state of Utah. And if you want to take the time to clean out fillet them; uh, they make a, a really tasty, tasty meal. Um, they're, they're good. They are an excellent uh, game fish, and really one of those that is underutilized here in the state of Utah. So, in the coming weeks, I think we'll talk. We'll talk ice fishing. Uh, I also got a story coming up, in the maybe next week, as early as next week, uh, it's a huge development in the quagga mussel situation. That's all I can tell you about it right now. But I mean, th- this is this is landmark. Uh, it's as it's as landmark as when we found that we had quagga muscle problems. Uh, and, and I'm hoping that we're going to be able to get it on next week, on next Saturday's show. This is as landmark as finding out about uh, that we had Quagga Muscle here in the state of Utah. It's just an amazing, uh, amazing story and uh, a very bright thing for our futures on the horizon. So uh, that's all I can tell you right now. I don't have all the details, but what I do have is so exciting, you're going to want to tune in next Saturday and find out about that. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the, the final note, again, please. Please be careful in the mountains. We are continuing to get snow. It is great for snowmobiling. It's great for cross-country skiing. It is great for uh, uh, for snowshoeing, but it is potentially so deadly. And we've already had uh, too many tragedies this year. Check out the Utah Avalanche Center. Check out their website. You'll find out where it is safe to go and some of the safety tips as well. And most importantly, if you are participating in one of these one of these sports. Please make sure you get all the adequate information and the adequate equipment. Uh, with The price of a life, uh, whatever you pay for that technology is cheap by comparison. Again, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for being here every Saturday morning between 8 and 9. I'll be back again next Saturday morning, 8 and 9, 829, right here on 97.5 The Zone. Until then, have a great weekend, everybody, and a great weekend.